Welcome to this week's episode of Graveyard Coffee Talk. We are your hosts, Amanda and Corinne. This week, we are backtracking a little bit to our Occult Court Cases episode and discussing the Satanic Panic and how it manifested around the world. Indeed. Um, major trigger warnings for this episode, including child sexual abuse, child murder, um, sexual assault and uh, genital mutilation. Oh dear. Uh huh. Uh, I actually had to talk to my therapist after I wrote my notes for this episode. So uh, please keep that in mind, and I will not at all be upset if people need to tap out. Amanda, that includes you. Understood. Um, but to to bring the mood back up a little bit, Amanda, what coffee are we drinking today? So today we have some decaf coffee from our local coffee shop, Synergos, brewed here at Corinne's house. Yes. Um, it's pretty tasty. I added some oat milk creamer because I've recently become obsessed with that. I did as well. It's the brown sugar. It is. It's a brown sugar yeah. oat milk. Um, I just picked it up at Kroger. It's pretty darn good. I really enjoy it. And, uh, we don't have big podcast money, so sometimes we brew our coffee at home. We do. We do. <laughs> All right. So, Corinne, what is our tarot card for this episode? Okay, I am back to using my line starter tarot deck because it is so wee and tiny and adorable, and I love it. And today I pulled the Four of Cups. Um, so the Four of Cups typically is a sign that you are dissatisfied. You need a change. You might be apathetic and unmotivated. Um, and this is a call to look inward and find what you need to keep going and keep doing. All right. So we have found the millennial card. Yeah. It's <laughs> another thing I talked to my therapist about. Whew. You guys are learning a lot. <laughs> Not necessarily about folklore or anything, but you're learning a lot. <laughs> All right. All right, Amanda, you want to you wanna start at the – we got to get these giggles out now, man, because we're going to get sad. Yeah. So uh, you, you want to lead us off? Yeah. So to start with, I think we can all agree that the American public likes a good moral panic. We do. And the 80s had us as a society primed for it. Mm. More and more women were leaving the home and entering the workforce. Uh, so as a result, children were spending more time away from the family unit. Mm -hmm. Reagan's policies were leading to more violence and drug use in cities. Okay. And the Southern strategy as a political tactic was out in full force from the GOP. So we suddenly had louder and louder evangelical voices in mm. the spotlight. Gotcha. So even before the so-called repressed memories started coming out in therapy sessions across the country. 
Mm. Um, Americans were being fed a diet of panic via the media and messaging from the politicians we, at the time, still trusted to tell us the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, So the big watershed moment that really kicked off the satanic panic is the publication of the book Michelle Remembers in... Wow, these notes are wrong. It was published in 1980, not 1908. <laughs> Typing is hard. Good job, me. <laughs> well, we'll um, fix that in post. The <laughs> book was co-written by the eponymous Michelle Smith and her therapist, Lawrence Pazder, eventually her husband. So ethical. Mm. Um, and it was published in Canada. Yes. In this book, Michelle Smith, with the help of Lawrence Pazder's now very discredited recovered memory therapy technique. uh, In this book, she recovers memories of being abused in satanic ritual ceremonies. Yes. Um, Michelle originally started seeing Dr. Pazder in 1973 to treat the depression that was brought on after suffering a miscarriage. Okay. Per the book... In one session, Michelle told Dr. Pazder that she had something she needed to tell him, but couldn't remember what it was. Okay. And, you know, that's a weird thing for people. Yeah. No one ever loses track of... No, I don't ever lose track of what I'm saying. Right? Never. Never. So after 600 cumulative hours of hypnosis therapy... In addition to their normal therapy sessions, Michelle told Dr. Pazder about memories of satanic rituals she claimed to have been forced to attend by members of the Church of Satan beginning in 1954 when she was five years old, culminating in an 81-day-long ritual in 1955 that the book alleges summoned Satan himself to Earth and involved the intervention of Jesus, the Virgin Mary, and the Archangel Michael, who erased the scars and memories Michelle had of her abuse until, quote, the time was right. Okay, I'm sorry, but shouldn't that have been St. Raphael doing that since he is the healer of the church? Let's get this right. St. Michael is a fighter, not a healer. Well, but he had to get rid of Satan and okay, since he was there. I'm just saying. And I mean, Jesus was there. Someone could have healed her. Just Healing was, in fact, something Jesus was known for. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> the, the theology holds. So in this episode, I'm not going to go too in-depth about how the book was thoroughly discredited um, from no one being able to find records of the car crash Michelle mentioned in the book. Uh, the mention of the Church of Satan by name being removed from the book, the instant Anto- Anton LaVey threatened to sue for libel. Fuck yeah. And the fact that attendance records show that Michelle didn't miss any school during the alleged 81-day ceremony. I mean, it was after hours. It's fine. <laughs> and the fact that, I'm sorry, a secret cult that has allegedly existed for centuries and has the power to conjure my girl boss Satan <laughs> Is not going to be outwitted by a five-year-old. Typically, no. I mean, five-year-olds are, are clever, tricky little buggers, but that was, sorry, any British listeners. <laughs> sorry. Um, they're, they're smart, but they're not that smart. Yeah. So safe to say it has been thoroughly debunked. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, in the occult court cases 
episode, I covered the McMartin preschool trial. Yes. Which Dr. Pazder was a consultant for. Okay. Uh, so I won't go into that here, but several similar witch hunts happened throughout the country at various preschools mm-hmm. as the collective panic swept through every inch of American suburbia. Yes. By the year 1987, Dr. Pazder claimed he was spending one third of his professional life consulting on ritualistic abuse cases in the United States. Jesus Christ. You know, because he's an expert. Yeah, well, when you write the book about it. And I, mean, I saw. I didn't say it was nonfiction. So you wrote the book. <laughs> I saw a good description of the phenomenon uh, where imagine an outbreak map in a movie about a pandemic. Mm hmm. But it's daycare satanic abuse charges. Okay. And the map turns slowly red and then everywhere at once. Yeah, okay. That's the speed at which this traveled throughout the country. Okay. Um, And the cultural fervor surrounding the satanic panic died down a bit in the mid-90s, but it is back, baby! (laughs) She's back! So now we have QAnon mania sweeping through the country. And I just love this quote from the article, The Satanic Panic in America on Vox. Okay. Uh, QAnon started as, quote, sanctuary fanfiction about how Donald Trump is actually doing a good job. (laughs) <laughs> I love that article. Fox has some really amazing writers. Yes. Um, and it makes sense because, you know, you vote for this horrific man because you, for some reason, believe that Hillary Clinton kills babies in the basement of a pizza place. Yeah. And we all know that admitting that we are wrong is un-American. So your brain has to latch on to anything that tells you, no, you are the good person. Yep. Your vote was the right vote. Correct. You didn't doom the country. Yeah. The Democrats did. Obviously. Uh, and so given what we know about the environment surrounding the, quote, original satanic panic in the 80s, it's mm-hmm. not really a surprise that the QAnon movement really gained momentum during the beginning stages of COVID when most of us were in really tight lockdown. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for some people, it is a comfort to imagine that the world isn't a random terrible place where bad things just happen. Yeah. Um, there has to be a secret cabal of evildoers manipulating the world for their own nefarious purposes, because if there is a bad guy, they can be defeated. Yes. Um, you know, you can't defeat random chance. Mm-hmm. There's a really good article that just like in the last week got posted about this on uh, the Atlantic. I'll send it to you. Please do. It's excellent. It was beautifully written i would love to read that um so QAnon conspiracies reinventing anti-semitic blood libel accusations aren't the only bits of reinvigorated satanic panic we have going on in the country today oh we get more we do yay so the debut of lil nas x's music video for his song montero God, call I me love by your name that song and that video Sparked a thankfully short-lived burst of moral outrage online due to the video showing Lil Nas X, amongst other things, giving Satan a lap dance. I mean... Um, After this video dropped, he also launched his own shoes, Red Nikes, which Nike does not take responsibility for. Yes. Just putting that in for legal reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, With pentagrams and the promise that each shoe is imbued with a drop of human blood. I'm trying to remember the name of the company that orchestrated that drop because they've done a lot of really like off the wall stuff Mm -hmm. and i'm completely blanking on their name but i've read about them before pre lil nas x 
Yeah. And I saw the name and didn't put it in my notes. And that is an oversight on my part. Story of my life. And so, of course, people went straight to Twitter to claim he was part of the, quote, New World Order indoctrinating children. Um, So, like, straight up, I love this song. It's so good. It's so catchy. I love the video. Yes. You know, this... This poor man who was forced to out himself after yeah. Old Town Road made it big, made this music video basically looking American Christianity in the eye and saying, you don't want me? Fine. This is what I can do on my own. I I have a lot of respect for him as an artist and as a businessman. Absolutely. Because he's young, too. He's baby. But that brings me back to the idea that satanic panics show up in America in times of progressive shifts in Mm -hmm. national opinion. So we have hippies and Vietnam War protests and the women's lib movements Mm -hmm. in the 70s leading to the satanic panic in the 80s. Um, We have the Me Too movement and a push for workers' rights and healthcare reform due to the pandemic leading to an explosion in QAnon. Yeah. Um, you have a gay black man owning his power and taking back the agency stolen from him, leading to absolutely horrific Twitter harassment. Yeah. Um, basically, whenever the patriarchy starts to feel threatened, they just yeah. bring back the satanic ritual abuse boogeyman to rein us all back in. Um, and I just, I tried to take solace in that mm-hmm. a little bit because... The fact that these panics are coming back shows that public opinion in general is moving towards human rights progress. Yeah. There's more equity. There's more inclusion. And and more people want that equity yes. and inclusion. So while we have a very long way to go in this country, Whew. yeah, I have to hope that these are the death throes for this sort of bigotry fingers crossed fingers fucking crossed keep working on building a better tomorrow yes all right oh okay guys i'm glad i'm glad we had some some cheerful notes to to throw in there because yeah i i did some research started doing my googles and it got real depressing Real, real fast. When you Google satanic panic outside of the U.S., it is all ritual satanic abuse cases. And it gets real rough real fast. Um, One of the first cases that I started digging into took place in Brazil. So members of a cult based out of Argentina called the uh, Superior Universal Light were accused of the murder and mutilation of several boys between... 1989 and 1993. Mm. I'm not digging deeply into this. Because as I said, I found this very upsetting. Uh, Like, do not like it. Do not want. This is horrible. Um, So what would typically happen is that young boys would be lured away. They'd be drugged with chloroform. They would be sexually and physically abused. And their genitals would be removed. This was allegedly for some sort of religious or magical ceremony. Um, There were also accusations of organ harvesting. Some of the boys did escape. Good. Uh, They were deeply messed up, typically required reconstructive surgery. 
some boys' bodies were found. Some children were never found. Oh my goodness. Um, it's just pretty freaking awful. Uh, several members of the cult, including a doctor who allegedly performed these castrations and mutilations, were arrested. Um, they were put on trial. They were found guilty. There, again, I said earlier, there were some rumors that there had been some organ harvesting for the black market. There's nothing that really corroborates that. Uh, the accused doctor is still alive. Uh, he is currently serving out a 77-year sentence. Not long enough. Well, just wait for this. So he's continuously argued that he is innocent. And um, from what I read, most of the evidence against the accused was largely circumstantial. There was not a lot of forensic evidence gathered. Um, one victim's body completely disappeared from police custody. Oh. Yeah. So several people arrested, tried, put in prison for this series of murders. However, there is reasonable doubt that the cult was involved at all. Because another man, and apologies for my pronunciation because my Portuguese is non-existent, Francisco das Chagas Rodriguez de Brito was a serial killer who was arrested and claimed to have killed 42 boys. Jesus! Including some in the region where these other murders took place. So. So, satanic scapegoat. Yeah. Um, I did include some links to some of the news articles that made their way to the United States during that time period, because, spoiler alert, I don't read Portuguese, so I could not read any first sources <laughs> from Brazilian newspapers. I'm sorry, you don't read your non-existent yeah. language? <laughs> what? This language that I've literally never studied. I'm sorry, Corinne. Where's your dedication to this podcast? I know. God, I'm just, I've got to learn so many fucking languages. Um, but if you read the news reports, they, uh, they make me very uncomfortable because there's a lot of exoticism being thrown in because, you know, oh, these, these dark satanic practices that are so common in Brazil. Are they? Bar blah, 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 blah. It's, it's just, you. Ew. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that particular case. Super cheerful. Love that for us. Um, so now that we have been to Brazil, we are going to take a jaunt over to Christchurch, New Zealand. And this particular case is basically a rehash of the McMartin preschool trial. So many of them were they here really in the States. Are. I'm not surprised it yeah. transferred over. So, the main victim of this particular clusterfuck is a gentleman named Peter Ellis. Um, his case has become emblematic in New Zealand of reforms that people are trying to push through. Um, he was the only male teacher at the crash where he worked. The articles that I read, I, I did not get a clear sense of whether he was a gay man or actually bisexual. Okay. Um, but his sexuality did play very heavily into the accusations. Unsurprising. Yeah. But unfortunate. But it did sound like he had relationships with both men and women, which would lead me to believe that he might have been bisexual. But yes, this is obviously a predator in the eyes of early 1990s concerned Christchurch parents. Well, naturally. Yeah. Because, you know, my 
being attracted to grown men clearly translates to attraction to children. I I don't understand that because it's always someone's attraction to men being the issue. I don't understand either. And yet straight women are considered natural caregivers. I don't. I don't even know. But um, Peter Ellis's accusation is actually believed to be a direct reason why there are so few male teachers in New Zealand, especially for child care workers. I believe it. Um, so he is accused of abusing children, you know, like you do. Starts out with one parent and snowballs. This is, again, one of those cases where you have people who don't really have strong backgrounds in child psychology taking the testimony of children at face value, where you're getting all kinds of wild accusations being thrown around. Um, so Mr. Ellis and four of his female co-workers were all accused of both physical and sexual abuse. Uh, the cases against the four women were all dropped, but at that point, their careers had been completely ruined. Yeah, you can't... Once your name is attached to something like that... It's just dragged through the mud. So, um, Peter Ellis was found guilty on 16 counts of sexual offenses, though he maintained his innocence until his death 24 years later. Goodness. Um, and this is where you get into the, the court case stuff. It gets a little bit interesting. So um, Alice appealed on a number of occasions. Some of his charges were dropped, but he was never fully acquitted okay. of things. Um, he had multiple opportunities to be released early from prison where he served seven years. Uh, but he was never actually eligible for early release because he would have had to have admitted his guilt in order to do so. So there were multiple appeals. The most recent appeal started in 2019. And at that time, Peter Ellis had been diagnosed with terminal pancreatic cancer. Um, and typically in New Zealand court, appeals end if the defendant has died. However, there were arguments that this case should proceed despite Mr. Ellis's terminal diagnosis. There's a really interesting quote from Wikipedia. On Alice's behalf, lawyer Robert Harrison said the appeal should proceed because it was an issue of public importance and addressed a systemic issue in the justice system. Justice Joe Williams noted, this is a very Western idea that on demise you have nothing to protect. Pointing out that, uh, sorry, Takanga Maori held that an ancestor has even more reputation to protect. The most recent appeals went on through 2020, uh, where another woman actually accused him of having molested her as a child. That ended up being thrown out in court because Alice was dead and could no longer defend himself against these accusations. Okay. Um, this would have happened prior to his working at the crash, uh, when he was a babysitter. But again, this was thrown out. They were not allowed to use the testimony in court. Uh, the most recent appeal wrapped up in October of 2021, and the final decision is pending. That's what I'm going to have to look up and, uh, and follow along and see what's happening. Yeah, it's it was really interesting to read through. Um, I know in the Wikipedia article, they talked about how things got started. Um, Alice had been working with a kid and um, sold the kid a puppy and explained, like, this is a boy puppy. He has a penis. You know, things like that. So the kid knows... The anatomical term. And apparently, he told his mom that he didn't like Mr. Ellis's big black penis. Ah. 
and it's viral out from there. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I didn't even get into, like, all the, the creepy occult things, but this really was a part of the global satanic panic. Because, of course, the kids are like, yes, they were flying, and they, they sacrificed a child because tiny children are tiny children with big imaginations. We went through tunnels that don't exist yeah, so, under a pizza parlor. So, like I said, it really is very much a rehash of the McMartin case. Um, and I'm sure because everyone was quote-unquote, trained mm-hmm. on Pazder's techniques after yeah. Michelle Remembers was published. I'm sure those children were coached and guided. There was some evidence of some misconduct going through. Um, again, the Wikipedia article, which you will have links to, it lays out pretty well. And I'm, I'm trying real hard not to drag people's names through the mud here. Because... No matter what, if you are a parent and you hear your kid might possibly have been abused, you're gonna freak out. Oh, definitely. So I'm just like, okay, people made choices. People's lives got ruined because of those choices. But I would like to believe that not everyone was acting out of malice. Right. So, um, yeah, that is... That is what I got because I got real sad and started having bad nightmares. No, that's totally fair. And I had never heard of either of those. I I knew there were incidences in New Zealand. Um, and I'm assuming this is the case that I saw brief references to. You may have. This was a um, big deal in New Zealand. But I didn't know the specifics. Yeah. Um, and it is... A truly heartbreaking scenario because, you know, on the one hand, you don't want to blame parents for trying to take things seriously. And, you know, if you think there's a credible accusation against an adult who has been a person of authority around your child, you want to get to the bottom of it. And I can't fault the parents for doing that, but I can fault the justice system for not. Yeah. There are systemic issues. Yes. Which are a lot more above our pay grade. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's what I got. Sorry. We did warn you guys last episode that uh, the light and fuzzy was going away soon. Um, we'll try to bring it back. Maybe. Maybe not. A little bit. I can't little promise bit. anything. Um. I'll fight tooth and nail for some happy shit, guys. <laughs> but thank you guys for listening. Uh, sweet dreams and caffeinated nightmares. Good night. Thank you for listening to Graveyard Coffee Talk. Our theme music is Pretty Little Dead Girls by Sean and McGuire. Copyright 2006 and used with permission. Our cover art is by Kyle Welsh. If you want to keep the chat going, please visit our website at graveyardcoffeetalk.com for transcripts, episode notes, and more. Follow us on Instagram at Graveyard Coffee Talk Pod or on Twitter at Talk Graveyard. About three years later.